When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me, as always, GameCockCentral.com's Colin Taylor, here to talk about a mercifully uneventful South Carolina basketball game. They played Vanderbilt over the weekend. They won convincingly. They should have won convincingly, and in fact, they did. And the only other time I can remember coming in here and starting a podcast like this was a couple of weeks ago when the Gamecocks went to College Station and won by 14. But even that game had... A little more drama than this Vanderbilt game. It was, like I said, mercifully free of drama. We're going to talk about the Vanderbilt game, preview Wednesday night's matchup with Arkansas, and we don't normally talk professional basketball on this podcast, but with the passing of Kobe Bryant, I figured we would share our thoughts, and Frank Martin has also expressed some thoughts about Kobe Bryant, his career, you know, Kobe as a teammate, things like that that we'll get into. And before we get into this Vanderbilt game, I want to remind everybody listening to rate, review, subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, a bunch of good stuff. Going on, obviously, Colin and I rolling with the hard foul a couple times a week. The late signing period, as Chris West and I are now calling it, is is that next week? Yeah, February the 5th. It sneaks up on you. Yes, it really does. It really does because recruiting never sleeps, and then you get through early signing period, and it's like, oh, now you get a little bit of a lull, but we're right here again at the late signing period, so that's next week. And if you don't want to miss any of the good recruiting scoop that Wes and Chris are going to have for you, go ahead and subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Go ahead and get that in your feed automatically. All right. Carolina won 90-64. As I mentioned, it was a game that they should have won about 90-64, and they did. Great news, right? Yeah, it's as uneventful a game as I can remember, and that is good for South Carolina because if it was an eventful game, we'd have a lot more to talk about. So South Carolina came out. They led for over 37 minutes, and that's kind of about it. You got good performances kind of across the board, and they won handily. Cool. All right. We'll be back next yeah, week. Yeah. All right. Good talk, guys. <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> Kobe. Uh, the only, I guess, disappointment of the game is, well, not the only disappointment, but the, I guess the biggest disappointment is that it was not quite a wire to wire win. Vanderbilt had that, I mean, I guess they made the first basket. They were up five to two, and their last lead was, I guess, seven to six. And then Justin Maniah hit the layup and won. And after nine to seven, or I guess technically after eight to seven, Carolina never trailed the the rest of the way. So you can't say wire-to-wire win, but pretty convincing nonetheless. Yes. It was a game where everybody got to play, uh, including Mike Green, who hit a three and sent the arena into hysterics. That was awesome. Um, my, my, I, didn't, I didn't go to this game. My roommate was there, and he said that that was about the loudest it got the entire night was when Mike Green hit that, that three. That sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> I would probably confirm that report. Pretty exciting. So just to run through a couple of quick stat lines, uh, Justin Maniah continues. It, it's now no longer... Like, oh, he's like playing well. He's finding his offensive game. It's like Justin Maniah 
seems to be back. This is what he is. Yeah. yeah. This is this is what he is. This is what he was. I mean, this is like a better version of what he was his freshman year. This is what people expected to see early in the season. And now that I've said that, we on this podcast do so much with reverse jinxes. I hope I have not uh, jinxed Justin Mania, but another really efficient performance. Uh, 14 points on five of nine shooting, three of four from the free throw line, added 12 rebounds, four assists, two steals, a block, just two fouls. He just continues to be the linchpin of this team. And look, if he had zero points, South Carolina still would have won by a bunch of points. And that wasn't the difference in this game. But for him to be so consistent is huge for this team as they continue this winnable stretch of games. Yeah, and when you look at, they've had trouble keeping their good players on the court for long periods of time. And when they do have their, you know, on paper best players on the court and Mike Kotar and A.J. Lawson, they've kind of been up and down uh, through SEC play. So you need a guy that you know can give you 12 to 18 points every game. And Justin Benai has been that guy. And I don't think it's any shock that when he's on and hitting shots at a consistent clip, which he's doing right now, the offense is moving at a pretty consistent rate as well. Another guy that's coming on of late, I pointed to it at the end of the Kentucky game. I said, oh, hit, hit a couple of shots. You know, maybe maybe this is a turning point for him, and he's continued to shoot better in the last couple games. And even if he doesn't totally look like himself, not quite in attack mode like he was last year and in the early part of the season, but just with each passing game, looks a little bit more and more like himself. And that's A.J. Lawson, 14 points on 6 of 11 shooting, 2 of 6 from 3. Didn't have a ton of other counting stats, one rebound, one assist, but the number that really jumps out to me, and you pointed this out, yeah, in your write-up on GamecockCentral.com after the game, just one turnover for Lawson. Uh, Also, just 27 minutes, didn't start the second half, you know, maybe some defensive issues. There's one or two possessions in the first half that he was uh, playing a little bit of Matador, and I think Frank Martin took some issue with that, but not a close game. I guess he didn't have to be dialed in necessarily the whole time, but it's nice to see him continue to shoot efficiently. He made his first three shots. Um, there was one, I think his second bucket of the game, or maybe the third bucket, he got the ball in semi-transition. I think they just like inbounded to Kuznard or something and threw it ahead to Lawson, and he just went full steam ahead to the basket, which we haven't been seeing him do as much lately. And just that willingness to go to the rim to use his speed and athleticism to attack and transition, like I said, which we haven't seen a lot lately, says to me that he's, you know, continuing to to find his way back into this into the rhythm of this offense. Yeah, and I think that it, for Lawson and AJ, it's it's a little bit less about his point totals and more how he looks doing it. And you saw a more aggressive AJ Lawson. I don't know if it was because Saban Lee was on the court with him at the same time, so that kind of brings out your competitive juices, but. You've seen him. There's a more desire to get to the basket. There's a, he's and he's converting at a pretty high clip, and when he's playing efficiently, which he's doing, you know, six of eleven shooting, is not like eye popping, but it's over fifty percent. That's good for you. And then don't turn the ball over. That's been his Achilles heel all year, and that's what you want to see from him. You want to see double digit points. Maybe a few more rebounds, a few more assists, but when he's not handling the ball, that's harder to do. Just don't turn the ball over. And when he can do that, this team has a good chance to when He finished at plus 14 for the night. Now, granted, almost everybody finished at plus whatever because they, you win by so much. But to see him finishing like that, knowing kind of his game is slowly rounding into form, that's good news for South Carolina if all those pieces around him can continue to play like they are. So coming into the season with still high expectations for A.J., knowing that he's got a big NBA decision at the end of the season should his sophomore season go well, I was expecting a different kind of guy 
and somebody that, and we, we've talked about this, and I, I was apparently wrong about this. I guess the jury could still be out, but I was expecting someone through whom the offense would run and that a really good sophomore season for him would be like 18 or 19 a game, four or five rebounds, four or five assists. Um, you know, the turnovers, uh, you, you like him to, to stay down, but when you're a primary ball handler, that's that's hard to do sometimes. But it seems like now, and not to say that this is the ceiling for AJ in general, but for this team right now, because AJ is not going to, he's not going to be a 19, five and five guy by the end of the season. His, his, I guess, involvement of the offense is limiting how much he can be like a true primary playmaker. So I don't expect to see like a huge uptick in assists. At this point, you just kind of hope that he keeps the turnovers down. And whenever those other counting stats are available, like, you know, like the rebounds and steals and things like that, you hope that he's able to get them. But with Carolina finding more playmaking in Jermaine Cousinard and Trey Hannibal off the bench, whom we're going to get to, who had a really, really nice game, five assists, no steals for Hannibal. And uh, finally coming back from that ankle injury after missing a couple of games, it seems like AJ now to unlock the, the best version of this team could still be like an 18, 19 point guy, just scoring a little bit more efficiently, not handling the ball as much and just keeping his turnovers down. Or do you still have optimism that he could turn into like an 18, four and four guy by the end of the year? I mean, there's always the chance that he could turn it on and do that. But right now you don't need him to go off and put up 20 a night. Cause you have a Jermaine Kushner. You have Justin and I playing well. And then you have Keyshawn Bryant, obviously coming back into the lineup. So, the the need for it is not there. Do I want him to see him prove it a couple of times where he goes out and just dominates a game? That I think Frank Martin would like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that South Carolina would like that a lot, especially if it was against a you know an Arkansas, which we'll get to. But they they just need him to be consistent. And if you're doing that and you're playing well off the ball and you're playing good defense, which has been very up and down for him at times, um, that's what you need from him. And that's what's going to get him in Frank Martin's. Not that he's not in his good graces, but back into more of like, okay, we can play you more than 27 minutes per game, and you've seen him get benched a couple times throughout the year. Um, but he's certainly got arguably the most talent, the most upside on this team, and you want to see that kind of come to fruition, whether that's him playing off the ball, putting the ball in his hands and just saying go. Um, but I still think there's a lot more there for A.J. Lawson. There is, there is. And I mentioned, obviously, A.J. not starting the second half and only playing 27 minutes, uh, but also worth pointing out, because Carolina won by 26 and because everybody got to play, only one player played more than 30 minutes for the Gamecocks, and that was Justin Minai with 35. A.J. was actually second on the team in minutes. So for as much as Frank Martin may have been slightly displeased with his defensive effort at a couple points during the game, he still got the second most minutes of anybody, and you and I talked about it last week. That's sort of a bellwether. If Frank thinks you're playing well, you're going to get a lot of minutes. If he doesn't think you're playing well, you're going to play, you know, just a couple. And obviously there's some other extenuating circumstances, and we can talk about some of the other guys in the starting lineup and Mike Coatsar and Jermaine Kusner that didn't play a lot. But one more positive from the starters that I wanted to get to, Keyshawn Bryant back into the fold. Yes. Weren't exactly sure when he was going to be back, what his status was going to be, but looked pretty good. You know, 22 minutes, uh, seven points. He had the most exciting play of the game, but it got waved off for a charge when he took off from... Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, like, just below the foul line, it felt yeah. like, and absolutely yammed it. And I, it should be illegal to call a charge on that. Like, Yeah, if, like, if, if that can, dude, if you, like, body somebody like that, you just swallowed your whistle at that point. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, wait, that was a sick dunk. I'm not going to call a foul on that. Yeah. But uh, regardless, he looked good, added four rebounds, a couple assists. He continued to be impressed with his, with the playmaking flair that he has shown this year that we didn't necessarily see last year, not in any sort of consistent way, but he always feels like he's good for at least a couple of dimes a game. Uh, did have a couple too many turnovers, uh, four of them, but he's back into the fold. 
and it's it's not like a hamstring injury or a knee issue where he's going to like re-aggravate his head, yeah. whatever that injury was. I, you mentioned, obviously, he does have some issues with migraines, but I don't think there's anything you need to worry about. And for this Arkansas game, for these other games for Carolina going forward, he's going to need to be there because he just changes the shape of this offense so dramatically. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I crunched the numbers a little bit about with Bryant, without Bryant, and um, they're averaging 69.7 points per game. Um, That's nice. Yeah, with with him and close to 72 points without him. And you sink there and go, wow, they're averaging more points without him, but the average net ranking of the teams they played without Keyshawn Bryant is 178. The average net ranking of teams they played with him is 101, 102. So you're playing better competition, you're putting up comparable numbers, and that's kind of across the board. The numbers look better without him in the lineup and without him playing, but the competition's at a higher level, so they're keeping pretty much that same level with him in there. I'm um, not going to give you more homework than you already have because you already work too much, but I'd be really curious to see those numbers since he came back into the starting lineup for the first time this year. Because obviously that first six weeks of the season, as you mentioned, the competition level for Carolina was a lot Which worse. Huh? I've calculated a lot of that. I got a big old spreadsheet. Okay, so so his first game back yeah. was what? UMass. UMass? Yeah. So, so the, what about just like since UMass has on-off numbers? Um, Since UMass, I mean, they've averaged 60. These are just games that he's played. I didn't take into consideration the Texas A&M game because he left so early. Okay. Right, that's fine. Uh, offensive efficiency of 97.5. Defensive efficiency of 95.1. Um, they're shooting about 49% from the field. Um about 30% from three effect or field goal percentage close to about 43% effective field goal percentage about 47% uh, turnover rate about 20% uh, averaging 10 rebound or 10 offensive rebounds 33 defensive rebounds uh, 43 total rebounds and wow. almost 14 assists um, with him in the lineup and like I said those numbers are a little bit more inflated without him in the lineup just because they played North Alabama and mm-hmm. Wyoming and Cleveland State. Right. Well, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Like, if, if there were any way to, to like, to filter those out. But I mean, I, I think the point of this is clear. They're better when Keyshawn Bryant yes, is in without the lineup. a doubt. Passes without the eye test. The, the numbers bear that out as well. The spacing the the everything, the athleticism, just the offense flows so well with those tweaks that Frank Martin's made, where he's playing more four out one in, giving Keyshawn and AJ and Jermaine a little bit more freedom to all right, I'm going to throw you in a ball screen and we're just going to go mm-hmm. kind of situation, which I think this offense really thrives in. All right, so last week we did a little, I don't know, I called it buy or sell, but it was or stock up, stock down. It ended up being more buy or sell. We're going to continue with that, whatever the heck you want to call this segment, and basically talk about the same couple people. We talked about AJ getting a little bit better. Are you buying that that AJ is continuing on the right trajectory? Do you feel like he's kind of plateaued and this is who he's going to be for the rest of the year or is there more improvement coming obviously a stiff test in Arkansas we're about to talk about that Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones in the backcourt it's going to be going to be tough and an opportunity for him to shine sort of in comparison to a couple of good established guards in the conference you buying or selling AJ's continued improvement you know I'll buy because I think I like half bought half sold last week so I think I'll buy um I think he's just playing more efficient I don't know if his stats will necessarily reflect a good play because Arkansas does have some good guards, but I think he's going to play pretty well and uh, play a little bit more better. I, I guess a little better defensively compared to what he has at times this year. Uh, but you've seen kind of steadily improvement on, in that regard with him. So the other guy that I wanted to talk about, Mike Kotsar, who was a rock, South Carolina's most, con- most consistent player 
very pleasant surprise. It was unexpectedly very consistent offensively. I mean, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten double-digit scoring games through the Tennessee game and did everything else well. He continues to play good defense, has always played good defense in those games. And then Kentucky scored zero points, but only played 12 minutes because he got into foul trouble and eventually fouled out. And it's like, well, you, you kind of yeah, you don't worry about that one too much. And then you go to A&M. He scores six points, but he plays really good defense. You know, we mentioned uh, he between between him and Levesque, they were able to hold uh, Josh Nebo to, I think, two rebounds. Yeah, was his final <laughs> was then, his final count there, and like six or eight points. Yeah, and then Austin Wiley didn't do a whole lot against him either. Right, and and you also again you look at that A and M game and you say, well, he had ten rebounds and he had seven assists. That's when we officially put him on triple double watch. Um, added three steals to that. So you're like, okay, he's still playing well, but it's closer to what we expected in terms of his actual scoring output. Um, and just the six points. Next game against Auburn, he plays full 35 minutes, still has only six points, shoots three of eight. The same thing, adds eight rebounds, five assists, a block. It's like, okay, maybe he was just overperforming. Like as soon, I said this last week, as soon as I was like, hey, cool, Mike Kozar just figured it out offensively. He's going to be a consistent double-digit scorer now this year in his senior season. He's like, oh, wait, no, this is actually more the offensive player that I am. And then against Vanderbilt, he plays just 11 minutes. Um, foul trouble did have something to do with that. Did get into foul trouble. Only finished the game with three, but it was a couple quick ones. Yeah, um, that kept him out for a lot I of it. Him and, and Levesque had like four combined foul. Him, mm-hmm. Keyshawn Bryant, and the Wildens Levesque were like six of the team's first seven fouls <laughs> yeah. with like six minutes to go in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're, and we're talking about how uh, I guess McCreary kind of benefited benefited yeah. from that uh, in just a minute. So that was part of it. And then they're up by twenty six, so you don't necessarily need to play him because he's played a lot of minutes for you already this season. So give him the opportunity to rest, whatever. But two points, one of three shooting, uh, didn't take any free throws, just two rebounds, one assist. Again, foul trouble has a lot to do with it, but this is now four games where he scored 0, 6, 6, and 2. The rebounding and the assist was mostly there in those other games, but is Mike Kotsar regressing, or is this just a matter of some unfortunate circumstances holding him back in this game in the Kentucky game? Yes. I mean, both. <laughs> um, I think he doesn't have to be the score as much anymore I don't think a lot of stuff they they do run some things for him but with Jermaine in there and AJ in there and um, Justin playing as well as he is the need for him to be this guy that has to go out and score 12 13 14 however many points a game really isn't there and because you're getting offensive input output from from other places so I think that some of that's kind of decreased in what he's been able to do and um he just hasn't looked as necessarily aggressive as he did consistently early on in the season. Um, you've seen that. I think Frank mentioned it a little bit in his um, press conference on Monday, kind of laughed and said, you know, Mike's been taking a nap for the last three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was kind of hoping he'd get dunked on. He joked that, you know, he'd get dunked on and wake him up for a, a second. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's one of those things where you're kind of waiting for him to re-click that aggression mode because he is rebounding the ball at a pretty high rate. He is doing a really good job trying to get his teammates involved. But now it's like, okay, Mike, you're six ten, six eleven. Go out there and you can dominate. You're one you know you're you're a good big man. Go out there and just be strong and be physical and finish at the rim. So how much of this is this is who Mike is and he was always going to regress to something a little bit closer to who Mike is. And how much of this is him accepting that like tertiary or whatever the four version of that is quadrinary the 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 third or fourth 
kind of option slash playmaker role because Kuznard has come into the lineup and been so effective. And Bryant, I mean, obviously, Mike Kuznard started the season really well in those first six weeks is when Keyshawn Bryant was missing. So there's a correlation there. But now you have Bryant back, and now you have your point guard, the guy that's actually going to be your point. And Kuznard is scoring, and A.J. Lawson's finding his touch a little bit more, and you're getting more juice from guys off the bench. How much of this is Mike being Mike, and how much of this is Mike saying, I don't need to do this anymore, so I can just spend more time, effort, energy on defense and doing the other things? I think that. I think it's a lot of he knows his game, and his game is rebound the ball, pass it well from the post, hit some jumpers if when it kind of comes to you in the flow of the offense, and play some, some damn good defense. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing right now. And would Frank Martin like to see him be a little bit more aggressive offensively? Probably. Uh, I think a lot of fans would like to see that as well. But when he's playing such good defense, it does take a lot out of you. So I think you're going to see him try to reclick, try to be a little bit more aggressive. But um, he does so much stuff already for, for South Carolina. And he's already a productive guy on the other end of the court that it's hard to ask a guy like that to do everything. So you would say your concern level with his lack of offensive output in the last four games is low? Yeah, I mean, it's probably like a f- between four and six. We're at like DEFCON three. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so it's like so one it's of those where it's like, yeah, yeah, where it's like he probably still needs to figure it out because South Carolina can't rely on, you know, three guys to get all, you know, 80% of your points. Mm-hmm. But knowing also that he's pretty good defensively and hauls in a lot of rebounds and is a pretty decent offensive rebound. We're like DEFCON three. What does it go to? DEFCON, it's like DEFCON five. Yeah, probably. One through five. Something like that. Um, that sounds right. We're like middle. We're like DEFCON 3 here. It is interesting that Carolina was able to notch 90 points while Kozar was just scoring two. And yeah. look, Vanderbilt's really bad. They're really oh, bad. Oof. Like I said, we knew they were bad oof. coming in. Um, but even still, hold on, let me pull up their schedule because they don't, they're bad, but they, I don't think they've given up 90 that often this year. They gave up, uh, let's see, they, they gave up 93 to Richmond. 97 to South, or no, they beat South Carolina State. 96. Uh, 92 to SMU. This is the first time they've given up 90 points in conference play, and they played Auburn, uh, they played Arkansas, they played Alabama, who shoots a ton of threes so they can really <laughs> fill it up and, and bury you in a hurry. Uh, so that's an accomplishment for Carolina. And again, to do it not only with Mike Kosar only scoring two points, uh, but Jermaine Cousinard finally came back down to earth a little bit. Now it's similar to Mike Kosar where he ended up in some foul trouble, only played 18 minutes in the game, but scored just seven points. It's the first time in five games that he scored in single digits. Still shot Two of three. He actually made all three of his free throws, which was nice. Couple of rebounds. Still managed to rack up three assists in just 18 minutes. Had three turnovers, which you like to see, obviously, come down. But even when he's only playing 18 minutes a game, he still has an impact. He's going to need to be huge in the Arkansas game. Like I said, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but any concern level for Jermaine Cousinard coming back down to earth or getting in foul trouble? Not really. Yeah. Um, I think that this is just one of those where he's going up against Saban Lee, who's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... That's his big challenge right now is when he plays some of the SEC's best guards, he needs to go out there and, and I don't want to say play better, but play a little more consistent. And you saw that against Auburn, obviously Vanderbilt was saving Lee. So um, concern level not there, but he's going to keep learning, yeah. which is, I mean, he's people forget he's only like 20 games into his freshman year. Mm-hmm. So um, he'll keep learning. 17-3-3 and three from Lee, whom you mentioned, is a good player. 5-14 shooting from the field and 0-4 from three, which is you know pretty good. Forced him into some tough shots. He also took just a ton of free throws. 7-15 of 15, uh, he was yeah. from, from the charity stripe. And hey, South Carolina, just as a quick aside, shot free throws pretty well on Saturday. 17-24 uh, of 24 
Just he got a, to the line 24 times. Oh, yeah. Which After is Single digits impressive. the last couple of games. Still got out-attempted by 11. Yep. Which First time in Frank Martin's tenure at South Carolina, they've had three straight games of a minus 10 or more. Really? Free throw differential. Wow. That's yeah. a, a good but troubling stat for yeah. South Carolina. Uh, Shout out to Andrew Ramsbacker for making me look that up. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Um, now, fortunately, it didn't matter in this game because Carolina still won by 26. You're like, wow, could they have scored 100 if they shot 35 free throws? The answer is probably not because they would have had to make uh, 10 of those extra yes. 11 free throws. So that wouldn't have happened. But um, obviously, it cost you in the Auburn game, and it wasn't the difference there. And then it also didn't matter against Texas A&M. It will come back to bite Carolina. It already has several times this year. Uh, but at least they're getting the attempts back up. And, and I'm not saying that they're going to shoot 70% from the charity stripe the rest of the season. But 3 or 4 from Anaya, 3 or 3 from Kusnard. Frank made all five of his. I don't know if that's replicable. Levesque still missed two of his. Um, McCreary made three of his four. Hannibal missed his only one. Um, so Bryant and Levesque were the only guys that missed multiple free throws, which is kind of where you need to be living. Um, but anyway, so that that's the starters. Uh, two points from Kotsar, 14 from Anaya, seven for Bryant, 14 for Lawson, seven from Kusnard. This game, for me, biggest storyline in terms of Carolina going forward, Bryant's back. Second yes. biggest storyline, the bench is really starting to consistently put it together. Yes. We've talked a lot about depth the last couple games. The only game that it felt like they were undermanned was that Auburn game, and it's because they actually were undermanned. Yes. But they have had enough moments now and enough games in a relatively close proximity that you're starting to believe in the depth of this team. And that starts for me, and I know for you, Ooh. with Jalen McCreary. Yes. What a game. Duke and Ball, that dude, you've. It's very rare to see that kind of growth that quickly from a guy over like a three week stretch. Uh, and credit to Jalen for it just kind of clicked for him, and the, they simplified the offense up a little bit, and it's worked. And his shot looks good. He had like a fifteen footer. That is it. Pretty no, but it goes in. And he's hitting free throws. I think he's missed two shots in four games and two free throws in four games. So he's the model of efficiency right now. He's doing kind of a little bit of everything right. Um, still a bull in a china shop a few times, mm-hmm. but he's giving you what you need, which is an injection of energy off the bench. And when you're going to have limited minutes, the efficiency is so, so important. Yeah, um, for him to hit his free throws, which are are still very ugly when they go in, I'm yeah. shocked every time one goes in. But he missed his first one. He made his next three. Um, and as you mentioned, four or five from the field, grabbed five rebounds as well, had a block. That's exactly what you need from a bench guy. And look, I, I mean, I don't want to freak out here and say, you know, Jalen McCurry for sixth man of the year or he's like Carolina's secret weapon. But you need to cultivate some of that depth. Um, Levesque has been like good but solid. It feels like, at least for his freshman year, I don't know what he could become two years from now. But it, it feels like, I don't want to say he's capped out what he can do freshman year because he's you would like him to still grow over the next month and a half or yeah. or whatever, as long as Carolina's still playing basketball. But it feels like you kind of know what you're going to get from him, whereas it feels like McCreary's stock is still rising. And especially if Coates are, you know, for whenever he gets in foul trouble, if he's going to, I don't want to say be a liability, because he's never a liability, but if he's not going to be, you know, giving you the kind of option there offensively as a rim runner, um, if he is going to get in foul trouble, if you just need another big body to throw in a game, McCreary is making that conversation very, very difficult. He was living in, after not playing for whatever it was, four games after Houston, he comes back and then he was just living in that like kind of six and four range, which was nice to see that consistency. I'm not saying now he's going to live in the 11 five range because then all of a sudden he's going to make himself a starter. But that, yeah. And that's not realistic at this point. But 
the efficiency in the limited minutes is huge. And he just he just looks good out there. And they're running more stuff for him. Um, this was his highest usage rate since the Wichita State game. Hmm. He's used in 19% of possessions, wow. which is great for a freshman. He's getting looks. And, I mean, his offensive efficiency numbers in SEC play, holy crap. Um, Does he say they were in, like, the 150s or something? Yeah, he's, like, 155 right yeah. now. Um, I mean, 210 against Florida, didn't register winning against Tennessee. 136, 216, 114, 158. Those are really good numbers. Yeah. And to get that from a guy that's 18, 19 years old is huge. Um, he's a guy that, I mean, his turnover rate's still pretty high, but he didn't turn the ball over against Vanderbilt. He only has two turnovers in SEC play, mm-hmm. which is impressive. So, And he's flashed pretty yeah. impressive playmaking ability for someone. For a guy, he, he's got to work on his sense. dribbling a little bit because yeah. he tried to dribble up the court against Auburn and, and got it did not away. go well. Yeah. Um, but he's a savvy passer yeah, when he gets on the block, great, when he gets double teamed. Yeah, he's a pretty good passer. You know, you don't look you don't look at him right now and say, okay, that guy's a good passer, but then he'll drop some dimes on you mm-hmm. that you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Yeah. So I mean, he could, he could be a Mike Coetzer level passer in, yeah. n- next year. No yeah, problem. and they can throw him in the paint. And I think all of their bigs are pretty good passers. Um, when they get into the post, they can kick for the most part. So, yeah, Jalen McCurry's been I mean, rock solid for them. And if he can give you six points and four rebounds or you know, anywhere between that or seven points or however much, but that's good for you because you need points. Mm-hmm. Points win games. And if yeah. Jalen McCurry's another viable option for you, you feel pretty good about your chances. And, again, when you're kind of – I don't want to say cobbling it together because it's a bench, so you're only supposed to play, you know, 12 to 18 minutes or whatever a game. The efficiency is so crucial. Uh, Jair Bolden, who had another good game, 13 points. The difference for him in this game in the Auburn game, I think he shot 4 of 12 against Auburn. He shot 5 of 10 against Vanderbilt, including 3 of 5 from 3. So if you're going to come in and just... And only one turnover. And only one turnover and a couple assists. So if you're going to come in and be that spark plug, you need to do it efficiently. Uh, He's been able to do that consistently, has McCreary. Um you wrote a story about McCreary on GamecockCentral.com. I won't spoil it. Y'all need to go read it. Is it a subscriber's or is it free? Oh, it's free. It's free. All right, so go check it out on GamecockCentral.com. You don't even have to be a subscriber. Uh, but if you want to be, since you're listening to this podcast, you can use the exclusive podcast code GCPod to get a month for free of GamecockCentral.com insider access if you are so inclined to do that and have never been an insider. You're missing a bunch of stuff. Fortunately, you're not missing this McCreary story. So y'all go read it. I won't spoil the whole thing. But he's kind of the opposite of a Nazarite. Yeah. You know, Samson shaved his head, cut his hair, lost and lost all it. of his power. McCreary has gone the other the ex- way. Exact opposite. I'm a little bit suspicious, honestly. As someone that my hair looks gross now because I didn't uh, wash it yesterday. I'm trying to wash it less because apparently that's good for hair health or something. Okay. I don't know. I've read a lot of conflicting things. Wah, who cuts my hair, said that that's crazy. But I've read enough stuff that I'm trying to not wash my hair every day. So anyway, it looks Good bad now, but I, I feel like some of my power comes from my hair. Okay. And so I'm just skeptical of McCreary's method. But you talked to him about it. Yeah, he said that uh, he got tired of his dreads being in his eyes and buzzed it off. He did say he was going to grow back. That's I don't good. know how. said it wasn't going to be dreads, though. Mm. Um, I don't know how, but we've seen it in the past. He could do a Frank fro. Yeah, I would like that. The little so, like. I'm not, sad that Frank doesn't have the fro anymore. He's got the little baby dreads. But think about this, though. South Carolina's had some good success with guys cutting their hair. Keyshawn did it last year. Yeah. Sonny did it last year. 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sixth man of the year. So there's some success there. Mm-hmm. I think it might be just a South Carolina thing where oh, yeah. if you cut your hair, and Trey Hannibal, every time I see him, I joke, every time I see him, he has a new haircut. So um, who knows? That's interesting. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of a lot of success stories like that in basketball. So I think like the hair in your eyes is no small part of it. I remember Alfred Payton for years, and I mean I think he's still in the league. If he is, he's coming off the bench somewhere. I don't think he's. I mean he's not that good. Um, I always liked Alfred Payton. Just like I don't know. I, I like the Rondo kind of guys that are just like I'm a traditional point guard. I'm just gonna play make and play defense. Even though Payton's defense was a lot of theoretical defense but he had that weird hairdo yeah I remember where that. like hung over the front of his head yeah, it was like, like shade several inches yeah. it was almost like it was almost like a gerald from hey arnold just like shifted his hair yep. down 90 degrees yes and there there were i saw so many stills of him like you know running in the lane and he's like shooting a floater or something and you're like and you're looking at the angle of his hair and you're like he can't even see the rim he can't see the basket do you want to play a quick game of who he played for yeah okay okay alfred payton who he played for um I don't know. Does he play for the Kings now? No. New York Knickerbockers. Oh, okay. Just the Knicks. Uh, you know, I think I need that. Yeah. I, I, I don't watch the Knicks. Um, <laughs> no one. No yeah, one no one does, which is good. Uh, that's good, though. I'm glad he's still in the league. I hope he... Uh, how's he doing this year? Do you have his stats? Uh, I do. This is exactly where I thought this was. Over under 20 minutes a game. Well, that is over. Oh, good. 26.1. Really? Shooting 42% from the field. Averaging 8.7 points per game. Hmm, okay. And that is your Alfred Payton update for all Perfect. those people here for yeah. South Carolina basketball. That, that is exactly yeah. why people tune into the Harp Foul. Yeah. I, I know I know USC Beckham was like, I really hope we get a, an Alfred Payton update today. Yeah. So uh, that's good. I'm going to I'm gonna have to see when the Knicks are playing next, and I'm going to have to put them on League Pass. Because I usually, I'll put like whatever regular TV game is up on the big TV, and then on the second TV, the little smaller TV on the side, um, I'll just put like whatever random league pass game. Oh, they're playing the Hornets uh, tonight, the Tuesday, the twenty eighth. Um, so I'll watch the Knicks and the Hornets and see what uh, see what Alfred Payton's getting us, up yeah. to. He doesn't have the hair anymore, though. He okay. got rid of it. No, yeah, which for is his basketball reference page. Yeah, yeah, it's the hair, man. So anyway. just gotta buzz it off. Yeah, so y'all go read the story. Uh, see how Jalen McCurry has found his just consistency, and he did it in an unconventional way. And he's actually turned into a pretty good talker. Yeah, he's a. Him and Wildens and Trey and, and Hannibal, that freshman group, there's some damn good talkers in that yeah, group. Yeah, it's gonna be and fun I, to cover them for a couple. Yeah, years. I like good. those guys. They're fun to they're fun to get to know. And, and Trey's hilarious. And um, yeah, other guy that had a nice game off the bench, another post player that we knew had high highest Potential? scoring, yeah. uh, efficient offensive games in him because we've seen him from him from time to time. Hasn't had it much lately, but Alonzo Frank, 13 points. Four of five from the field, five of five from the charity stripe, three rebounds and assists, a steal, uh, just one turnover and one foul. That's probably a career low for Frank yeah. in any game in, in which is played double digit yeah. minutes. Yeah, where yeah. he had fifty two fouls. So, um, good job, Frank. Yeah, I know headed into SEC play, I think he had the highest offensive rating on any of any player on the team. I think that's dipped a little bit, and he's been, I don't even want to say in and out of the lineup, but I think he just played one minute against Auburn, and he was someone that coming into the season I thought was going to be an anchor, if not the anchor of bench units, because I, I still I liked and I still like the upside of his offensive game. He's I mean, Carolina's most traditional low post scorer. Yeah. And I thought they were going to be able to use that more. It, it's worked out where they've, you know, early in the season they had uh, Jermaine Cousinard, now they have Jerry Bolden, you know, McCreary coming on and uh, you know, Trey Hannibal, and they have different guys so they don't necessarily have to rely on him. But I was happy for Frank, whom I like, to see him get you know, a, a nice, it's a 26 point win or whatever, but nice to see him have an efficient scoring night. Yeah. And I think that 
scoring's never been his problem. He's usually a pretty efficient scorer, usually pretty good offensively. Frank's always been one of those guys where he wants you to play good defense, and Frank's been up and down at times in that regard, and that's what's kind of kept him out of the lineup. But when he plays good defense and he doesn't foul like he mm-hmm. did against Vanderbilt, you see the kind of performances he can put up. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm just like watching selectively or missing like bigger possessions, but I feel like he has been better defensively this yeah. year, at least positionally. Like he still has dumb fouls where he'll he'll reach or he'll get a, a little bit lazy and not slide his feet, but it just feels like he's in the right place more this year than he was last year. Yeah, I agree with that. And a lot of it's ball screen stuff too. That's mm-hmm. a big thing with Frank Martin is ball screen defense and when to switch, when not to switch, things like that. So, um, and help defense is big too. So, if he screws something like that up, it's going to be hard for him to play. Um, when he does, when he does those things well, that's when you see him play a little bit more. Um, foul trouble also got him into the game a little bit more against Vanderbilt, and you saw kind of what he was like. I said what he was able to do. Trey Hannibal. Trey Hannibal. Sixteen points. Sixteen uh, minutes. 16 minutes. Wow. 16 points I was watching a completely different. Carolina game. scored over hundred. Sixteen yeah. minutes. Four points. Four rebounds. Five assists. Three steals. Fill it up, young man. Trey Hannibal. Good. Trey Hannibal, good. I think that like <laughs> that, was that was, yeah, that was my note on it. Trey Hannibal, good. Good. Um including a steal at the end of the half and a nice ferocious dunk, one of his two made field goals. And you know, it's funny. College basketball officiating drives me absolutely it. batty. It. It's it's awful. It it makes it makes it harder for me to be a fan of college basketball and just watch random college basketball games. Watching UNC and NC State last night was great. Because there were like five minutes to go in the second half, and neither team was in the bonus yet. And I was like, this is oh, never happened. It was crazy. Gorgeous. It was, it was really weird. Um, Hannibal's a great defender. Yeah. He's so crafty at poking the ball away. And sometimes I watch what he does, and I'm like, I feel like they call this a foul on everybody else. I don't know if referees let Hannibal get away with more, or if being down on the court, there's that much of a difference in the way that he is attacking the ball as opposed to other guys. But that play, like right towards the end of the first half, there's like a minute left, I think, or two minutes left, when he he like kind of deflected it, and then I think maybe it was Lee got it back, and then he poked it away from him again, got it in the open court, and then went and dunked. I'm I don't I didn't think that was a foul, but I'm so used to seeing that called a foul. I think that's one of the fun parts about Hannibal yeah. is he does it without fouling. Yes, um, I like him. Watch. I, I love to watch him play defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Frank and he Martin, gets so low. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's like I mean, I mean he's already thighs, short. Like, but he yeah, gets like really I mean. And he's just built. I think he's probably, I mean, I haven't asked him, but he's probably like less than 10% body fat, you would assume. Um, just a a thick human being mm-hmm. is the best way I can he's use He's a thick boy. Yeah, <laughs> two Cs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I really like his game. And Frank, we kind of had a funny back and forth at his press conference Monday when I asked, I asked him, I said, it seems like you let Trey play a little bit freer. And he was like, by freer, do you mean I kept him in the game and didn't pull him? I said, yeah. Yep. Uh, he goes, well, because that's because he asked, did exactly what I asked him to do for the most part. And um, when he's doing that and stays on the court, you see the kind of impact, kind of like Frank. Mm-hmm. You see the impact he can make. And it might not be, you know, 10 points and eight rebounds and, you know, six made threes, but he's going to force some steals. He's really good at that. Finished plus 14 in 16 minutes. So that's good. And you want to see that kind of develop with him. And I think you slowly are. And when he's able to run and execute the offense like Frank Morton wants and execute defense like Frank Morton wants, then that helps his case to get on the court.
he's got to be healthy to do those things. So it was yes. nice to see him come back and not show any ill effects of that ankle yeah, injury I mean, that, that he suffered in the week before the A&M game. That yeah. dunk, when even if that was still kind of a sore ankle, to do that mm-hmm. just a few days removed from being in a walking boot, good on him. Yeah, that was on your end of the court, right? Yeah, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, normally, so I guess when I'm watching on TV, going left or right is towards you. Yeah. I have to remember that. Um, good game for Hannibal. And Carolina looks like, again, everyone, everyone had a good game. Vanderbilt is really bad, so not overreacting to any of this. But even still, Carolina's... Got a legit bench bomb going here. I mean, yeah. you go out to line up with Hannibal at the one, Bolden at the two. <laughs> Heck, I mean, McCreary is athletic enough that I feel like he could get some minutes at three. Yeah. And, and then go with uh, Frank and Levesque. Frank and Levesque. I mean, that's a, that's a jumbo-sized lineup, a lot of defense, a lot of athleticism. That That's a starting five that if they if they were all on the court at the same time, one, I don't know if I would immediately like notice or think about it because it wouldn't be that unusual. And two, I, I would not be like, uh-oh. Yeah. The Oof. other team's about to go on a 13-0 run. Yeah. I, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good lineup to me. Yeah, that's solid. That's yeah. That that has real bench mob potential. So, um, And a bunch of other guys. I mean, like I said, everybody played. Micaiah Henry played. He got a couple of minutes for the first time. Finished since, plus three. Yeah. When, when was the last time he played? It's like third game of the season, I think, right? I think so. Probably. He got some minutes. Nathan Nelson, Mike Green. Uh, TJ Moss, just eight minutes. Uh, zero points, zero assists. I mean, didn't really record many sets. What did he record? Oh, he had a rebound and three fouls. Um, 0 of 2 from the field. But everybody played. Business is usual win. in this kind of game. Was 54%. Game they, yeah. It was the game they needed to dominate, and they dominated. Shot well, played good offense. And you hope that gives them some confidence. They're traveling to Arkansas. We're going to talk about that game in just a minute. Um, yeah, 54% from the field. A tick under 39% from three. 71% from the free throw line. All good, above average numbers for Carolina. Can't expect that every time, but unfortunately, they won't need to score 90 points to win most of those games. It was a palate cleanser. <laughs> exactly what this was. Yeah. You're coming off a very tough five-game stretch where you play probably one, two, three tournament teams. One team that's probably going to go to the NIT in Tennessee, uh, and then a Texas A&M team on the road where you were down to pretty much seven guys. Mm-hmm. So this was a palate cleanser. You get back to full health. You wall up a team at home, and then you get to go on the road to Arkansas. Vanderbilt. The sorbet of the Southeastern Conference. It's like that, like, after you have hibachi and they bring you, like, the little, like, you know, sherbet cup. That's yeah, what yeah. they are. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly Or uh, I love Indian food, and I love – I know it's a good Indian restaurant if they have the little bowl of fennel seeds by the door. That's really good. That's okay. kind of, like, licorice kind of flavor. Vanderbilt, the fennel seeds of the SEC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fennel seeds, uh, sorbet, I don't know, whatever else you use to, to cleanse your palate. They're and milk after hot wings. That's what it is. Oh, do you do that? I mean, you can do that. I'm not a big hot wing guy. Oh, really? I'm not a big wing guy. Really? Uh, it violates one of the best foods. I mean, uh, do I like wings? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it violates my one rule on food, um, which is don't work for it. We spent an entire mm. civilization period trying to perfect not having to work for your food, and I don't want to have to eat around a bone. So, you, so you're, you're boneless wings? Oh, I'm, a big, I'm a big fancy chicken nugget guy. I'm not one okay. of those guys that like stands for chicken, you know, boneless chicken nuggets. Yeah, thing. yeah. They're chicken nuggets with mm. sauce. I love wings. Like... I, I guess I haven't like finalized Super Bowl plans. I think we are going to do. Ooh, I, I think we're going to do a PDQ platter. This is okay. not paid ooh. for by PDQ, but that's what we've done the last couple of years for the Super Bowl, and I love that. But I, I'm kind of the opposite. I like to uh, I like to work for it a little bit, and also, historically speaking, not as much now, fortunately, but historically speaking, I'm someone I'll just eat until I get sick because I'm a freaking maniac. Fair. And so if I have to work for it, 
Um, then it slows you down a little bit. It slows me down. I can't eat as many wings as I would boneless wings or chicken fingers. Um, I used to chew a lot of sunflower seeds because I would snack less because it you know takes some work to get the goodness out of the seed. Yeah. It's also why I chew a lot of gum to sort of like distract me. Um, which yeah, I apologize if I'm just like chewing in y'all's ear. I try not to do that, but um, I'm chewing gum right now. But point is, I'm a little bit sad that you don't like chicken wings. I don't normally yeah, drink milk. I, I after. like chicken wings, but. I don't like them as much as okay as as other, other things. Uh, public other, house other is really this is not paid for by public house, but public house and divine are like the only chicken wings in Colombia that I've actually sat mm. down and like these are actually good and I would come back and eat these again. So I was um, let's see for the last couple of years I've really been a Peebles stan. Peebles is excellent. Um, see my roommates and fiance love it. Yeah, I went and it was good, but I don't. I wasn't like mm. oof, wow. Well, my, my only problem with Peebles is there's. There's a lot of variance in their wings. Like the first couple times I went there, it was extraordinary. They were they were big, juicy, meaty wings, but not soggy. Like, I don't want to act like a chicken wing is a is like a hard food to make. It's I mean, it's not like I don't know, it's not like moose or a beef Wellington or anything yeah. like that. But it's it requires some balance to get enough juiciness sauce. and meatiness. But you also need the crispy bits on the outside. You don't yeah. want it to be soggy, and especially if you're going to douse it with sauce, which I really like people's sauces. Um, but what's your go-to sauce? Um, they have like the, I think, I think it's, uh, just their hot honey barbecue. They have that. And then they have a mop sauce. That's really good. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've been because it's a lot of variants. So I've, I've had some other experiences with people's where the, the actual wings themselves weren't as good and like the sauce yeah. is still good. But, um, I went to public house with a bunch of people around new years and it was the first time I'd been there in a couple of years. And I was like, Ooh, Oh yeah. It blows you away. God, how good these wings are. It blows you away. Yeah. There's a place out in Columbia, Missouri called CJ's. It's pretty famous mm. um como we're como secretly one of my favorite places no to i liked como no, really? i liked como yeah i just assume that it's a desolate wasteland because I mean, no one no driving one... into it driving in from we flew two years or four years ago for that game mm-hmm. the bryson williams kiss game oh yeah uh we flew into como for that one and driving in whew, there's right. not a whole lot around it mm-hmm then obviously coming from St. I've driven, flown into St. Louis and driven there. Then I've flown into Kansas City and driven there. Mm-hmm. It's boring. Yeah, there's not. Well, a it, whole it looks lot. like it, it. Like just watching broadcasts of Missouri football games is boring. The Even town, the game's exciting, but the town is so cool. Is I it? really enjoyed Como, the town. Yeah, um, it's Pete College Town, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not my t- favorite SEC mm-hmm. venue, yeah. um, but. If I'm going to Como, I'm not too distraught about it. Well, and I'm not even I'm not trying to like piss off any Como inhabitants or, or like dog on or anything because I live in Columbia, South Carolina. I can't dog on anyone yeah. that lives anywhere. But it just seems it seems sleepy, and it just seems like people don't like going there. Like when Carolina has to go to Missouri for whatever sport, it's just because well, the weather's awful. awful. Like yeah. I've never been, like when we went um a couple years ago that one it wasn't too bad but when we went when i went for baseball i was talking to reed morgan at one of the baseball scrimmages uh monday actually we were just kind of catching up and got on the topic of the missouri series and we both agreed that that was probably the the most miserable we've been watching a baseball game um the winds were like 40 mile an hour it was like 45 degrees no one was happy to be there um and this year, obviously, for football, it was spitting rain. I forgot my raincoat. Chris Gillespie also forgot his raincoat. We had mm. to stop at a CVS and buy trash bags for him to wrap his camera in. 
Um, I bought a cheap umbrella that I ended up throwing away on the sideline. Nice. So there is a trash bag on the Missouri sideline that had my umbrella in it for the majority of the game. And um, yeah, just the weather's never been great, but I like the town. Hmm. This episode was not brought to you by PDQ or Public House, but it was brought to you by the Como Tourism Department. Yes. <laughs> and, Como, if you want to cut me a check, send it to, you know. Yeah, and generic chicken wings. Like, I love those yes. commercials that are like, so-and-so, like Clay Thompson, powered by chocolate milk. It's like, chocolate yeah. milk is, like, who's paying for that? The Yeah, the ad council or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so, but it's yeah. like, do all the farmers that produce milk that goes into chocolate milk just like pitch in to make a chocolate milk ad or all the chocolate people. I don't know. All the brown cows. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All the brown cows pitch in to pay for that. Yeah. Um, all right. So have you been to Fayetteville? Been to Fayetteville once Mm -hmm. for a super regional. Hit or miss. Yeah. Um, Lou Holtz famously said, I think this is when he was at Arkansas. He said, he said, Fayetteville is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. It's pretty accurate. (laughs) There, we found a the only time we went was it was me and Chris Gillespie. Um we went for the super regional a couple years back when they played Arkansas and uh ate at a few good places, ate at a few bad places. There was a man that at so when Chris Gillespie and I travel, we usually don't do the typical touristy things. Um we went to like a thrift shop and You're gonna find the barbecue. Found the he doesn't like barbecue as much as I do. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we always find something else. Um but we found a, a decent Cajun place, which is pretty good. Okay. Um, then we found a, it's like five bucks, all you can play arcade, which was awesome. That's so cool. we spent like one old night. school arcade games. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like old school, like NBA, NBA Live, like all. It was great. They had an N sixty four, so that was my childhood. That's cool. Um, I sat there and like, it was the the funniest thing. We'll actually get back to basketball here in a second. Um, I, I like N sixty four was. My childhood was an N64, mm-hmm. and so I found one. They had it hooked up to this TV, and I'm playing, like, Dr. Mario, and I'm just sitting there, and, and I look over, and I don't realize that I've been doing this for, like, 20 minutes now. Mm-hmm. There's a line of, like, 12 six-year-olds, like, waiting in line neck, like to play after That's me. That's great. And I realized I was, like, this 23-year-old kid, 20, I mean, 22 at the time, and just, like, looked around and, like, realized that I was depriving these children of playing Dr. Mario. Because you were being nostalgic. And then you did the only correct thing to do there, which is shove that kid on the ground and say, wait your turn, yeah. kid. I have waited 10 years to play this in 64 again. You were, you know. Did you, so. uh, let's see, this was, I think, early last week. I just saw it on Instagram. Otherwise, I would have, I would not have known. But the original Super Smash Brothers came out 20 years ago, like last week. That makes me feel old. I know, which is crazy. Um, I, I think, or 20. Would that have been right? 2000? That doesn't seem right. I don't know. It was it was some anniversary of Super Smash Bros. It obviously wasn't 30 years. It was Anyway, I, I saw on Instagram there was an anniversary, so my roommates and I played the original Smash for the first time in forever. So the Super Smash Bros. for the N64, mm-hmm. um, was that the original? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, uh, Lana. January 21st, 1999. 1999? Oh. So 21. So oh, 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 that's what it was. It was 21 years because the post, the post on Instagram said... Uh, Super Smash Brothers is old enough to drink today. That's sad. Yeah, so which is crazy. Old. And I don't play the original one much because if I want to play Smash, I play Melee because it's obviously the best. Yeah, obviously. Um, I, I like the Switch one. But the Switch one's I have a Switch one. Favorite. It's um, it's it's good. It's yeah. better than Brawl. Yes, um, everything's better than Brawl. Yeah, everything's better than Brawl. But anyway, so that was fun. Yeah. Um, video games, Fayetteville. Yeah, Kieran has a basketball game too. Oh yeah, that thing. Um, the wait, thing we're that, here to so talk are you about. gonna are you going to this game? Tomorrow? I'm not. Okay, no. uh, so you don't get to go back to that arcade. 
Okay. I'm not right. too broken up about not going to Fayetteville. Um, so this is a weird Arkansas team. They're 15 and four. They came into SEC play 11 and one. I was surprised they had played so few games yeah. going into conference play. Since then, they're four and three, and they've won the games that you would expect them to win, and they've lost the games you would expect them to lose. By and large, they lost to LSU. That's fine. They lost to Kentucky. That's fine. They lost to Mississippi State, which is probably Apparently a now good that's barometer. Fine. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's fine now. Mississippi State's a, a good team. They're playing well. But that's a game that's like, oh, you know, that's probably a toss-up for most of yeah, the middle Arkansas's, class of the SEC. Yeah. And then teams have beaten Texas A&M, whom South Carolina also beat, Vanderbilt, whom South Carolina also beat, and Ole Miss, whom South Carolina gets to play on Saturday. Wednesday. Right? Wednesday. Or Wednesday. Oh, that's right, because it's uh, Missouri at home yeah, Saturday. At home. Yeah, they're they're away in the in the midweek now for a couple Ever. of weeks. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, decent team. Good team. Eric Musselman, good coach. Did a lot of good things in Nevada. Long-time NBA guy before that. But most of the stats for this Arkansas team so far are pretty average, yeah. which is which exists in contrast in some ways to their 15-4 and four record, but also kind of explains their 4-3 and three record since conference play started, including a, a win in the Big 12 Challenge this past weekend over yeah. TCU. They beat a good TCU team. Yeah. Is that their best win of the season? Yes. Yes. Looking at it, yes. Um, no, they beat Indiana. That's right. They beat a good Indiana. Right. That was pretty their last game Indiana. of the non-con. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those where it's like their stats. You look at them and you're like, "Whoa, this is insane!" Because they're top fifteen in defensive efficiency, best in three point percentage against all this stuff. A lot of that's because they didn't play that hard of a non-con schedule. Now, granted, in SEC play, those numbers are not necessarily like blow you away good, but mm-hmm. they're still. Middle of the pack, upper middle of the pack. Um, this is not a bad Arkansas team. They've kind of regressed back to what they their mean go in SEC play, but they're still good. They still force a lot of turnovers. Um, Bud Walton is a very tough place to play. Uh, I think Frank Martin's only won there maybe once or twice in his mm-hmm. career at South Carolina. Um, he's only actually lost ever at two places, and he keeps referencing that's Alabama, that's Kentucky. Those are the only two places he's ever lost in the SEC or hasn't won in the SEC. But this is a uh, Arkansas team that South Carolina is not prepared for. I don't want to say it could run them out of the gym, but it could be another Auburn situation where they go up big late in the second half. Um, it's a good team. It's a, a winnable game, a beatable team, but a good team. If Carolina loses this, it's not the end of the world. No. We've looked at this stretch of last game, this game, and the next three games. Carolina needing to go 4-1. and one. The one loss that you can afford is an Arkansas team. that Aren't they, they're, are they top 30 in net? I think so. Yeah, that um, would sound right to me. Yeah, and like again, at fifteen and four, that makes sense. And and their losses haven't been too bad. They had again, the, the, it was what the Kentucky it was the Kentucky loss, LSU loss, Mississippi State loss, and then didn't they lose to like Western Kentucky or yeah, something that was a in overtime? Loss. Yeah, in yeah. Overtime. So it's kind of a weird loss. That's the only one that that really sticks out. But what that to say, this is a, a really nice opportunity for South Carolina because it's it's not. You don't lose much if you lose this game, but you gain a lot because yeah. you're. This will probably be a quad one. win. That's a quad one win, especially you know, with it being on the road. Um, so a huge opportunity. ESPN's BPI says that Arkansas has an eighty-five and a half percent chance to win, and that just doesn't exactly feel right. Now, again, it being on the road is is complicated. One of the things that I didn't realize, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, that really jumped out. There are no freshmen on this team. No, it's a it's a very old team. And that's tough when you're when you're going on the road and when you're playing a team of veterans. That was one of the things that I pointed to in the Texas A&M game and said South Carolina could lose this game 
if it's tight late because you're in a hostile environment and because this is a bunch of guys that have been playing more basketball than your team has on average. Fortunately, it didn't matter in that game. I think this projects to certainly be a closer game than the Texas A&M even projected to be and certainly ended up being. But of their top eight minutes, the top eight guys that receive the most minutes, the, the eight guys that play double-digit minutes for Arkansas, Isaiah Joe, sophomore, uh, Jimmy Witt's a senior, Mason Jones is a junior, Desi Sills is a sophomore, Adria Bailey's a senior, Jalen Harris is a junior, and Reggie Chaney is a sophomore. And that's as young as college basketball has gotten and as young as the South Carolina team still is, that's one thing that scares you late in a close game. Yeah, and this is an arc. I mean, some of the most of these guys, it's not like a Jair Bolden situation where these are their first years inside the program. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's their first year under Musselman and his system, but Musselman's system compared to their last coach is pretty similar. Play good defense, get up and down the court, run fast. Uh, Jalen Harris started his career in New Mexico, but this is his second year playing at Arkansas after his sit out year. Desi Stills obviously started at Arkansas there now. Jimmy Witt. Started at Arkansas, went to SMU, is now back at Arkansas. Um, Isaiah Joe, obviously been at Arkansas now. This is his second year. And then Bailey, four-year senior at Arkansas. uh, Played all four years, which is not something you see a lot of in college basketball Mm. these days. Um, You know, Mason Jones, um, three years at Arkansas kind of thing. So these are guys that have been around the program. They're familiar with each other, which is a big piece of it. And I think that that's something that obviously South Carolina's got to worry about. This is a team that's, in terms of experience, top 100 in the in the country. So um, they're going to have to, like, be able to go out there and getting a lead on that in that environment on the road, kind of like Virginia, um, you need to go out there and you need to kind of take it to them a little bit and get out to a, you know, six, seven, eight-point lead and kind of hope you hold on from there. So in addition to their stats being – you know, good but kind of middling. It makes sense that they have four guys that are scoring at least nine points a game. It's a pretty even distribution, but Mason Jones is the guy. He's averaging yeah. 18 and a half, six rebounds, three and a half assists, and almost two steals a game. Um, and you look at his progression, like last year he was he was like 12, three, and two or something like that. So he's it, it's been a it's been a leap for him for sure. It's been impressive for him to maintain it as consistently as he has, but he's the team leader in points, team leader in rebounds, team leader in assists, uh, and team leader in steals. He's going to be the guy. Whose defensive responsibility is this? More than likely, you're going to see Jermaine Cousinard on him. He's to the point now where he's going to garner the team's best guard matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way it is. Frank likes to put his point guard on the team's best yeah. ball handler. The, the other team is essentially point guard. So, yeah. Um, He'll probably get that one, but it's been. A- I wasn't sure if if maybe we would see. I'm sure we'll see some of it, and especially if depending on how much man they play, they're going to be you know switches and mismatches in transition and things like that. But just with AJ having a little more length ability yeah. to bother some of those passing lanes and and release point and things like that, I didn't know if that was you know going to be maybe a, a plan of attack. But I also think it's probably fair to say that Jermaine's your most physical guy. He's your most He's physical guy, and, and like possession by possession, most more consistent. consistent. Yeah. Like I guess if it's the last possession of the game, maybe you give. AJ a chance again because he has a little more length to to, to bother him, but um, probably a good call possession by possession. You you also wonder how much that's if, is this, uh, I guess maybe Auburn, but will this be the most taxing defensive assignment that Jermaine's had since he's entered the starting lineup? Saban Lee is so good, though. It's either. And did a pretty decent job. Yeah, it's either Mason Jones or Saban Lee. Those are probably his top two. Mm -hmm. 
I would say. So a good test for him. Oh, uh, I'll be curious on. to see what the score is. He plays he, Kentucky. Oh, yeah, Ashton yeah. Hagens. Ashton Hagens. And had a great game against Quickly, Hagens. that yeah. guard group. This is number two behind whoever he guarded. Yeah. I think he guarded So the point Higgins. is, okay, now that we're thinking about it. <laughs> he's played he's, some really good guards. He's played some really good guards, and he's, yeah. he's played well. It hasn't necessarily affected his scoring output. The defense has been pretty good. Hagen shot just 2 of 10. Saban leave 5 of 14. Now, yeah. a lot of that, because Saban played you know, 34 minutes, and Kusinar was only in there for 18 or 20 of it or whatever. So sure, Hannibal did a good job yeah. on him, too. And so that was good defense from Hannibal, too. But that's kind of where this, this starts for South Carolina. Other than that, they're a good defensive team. They're not overwhelming offensively. They average... Fewer than 13 assists per game. I don't know where exactly that ranks, but I was looking at Carolina's numbers because they've had, and I actually meant to look this up before the podcast, so I'm going to vamp while I do look it up. I think they've had at least 20 assists in the last three games. Is that right? Because they had 20 against Vanderbilt, right? They had, yeah, 20 assists on 33 made baskets against Vanderbilt. Against Auburn, they had, oh, they only had 16 assists on 29 made shots, but then against Texas A&M, I think, is when they had 22 assists on 29 made shots. And I was looking at the best teams in the country. I think the number one team in the country right now is averaging like 18 or 19 assists a game. Yeah. So South Carolina, to say their offense has been humming, eh, doesn't totally describe it because it's the way that they've been doing it. It's not just you have one or two guys that are filling it up. They've been moving the ball. The offense looks a little more fluid, and they're finally getting into the sort of rhythm that you always hoped and weren't ever sure they were going to get into in their half-court offense. Um but that's huge, and Arkansas plays it a lot differently because Carolina's averaging almost 15 assists a game. Like I said, uh, Arkansas is averaging like 12 and a half or something like that. They shoot the three about as well as Carolina, and they shoot it a lot more. They shoot about 23 or 24 a game and write it about 31%. I think it's three-tenths of a percentage point difference yeah. in terms of the three-point shooting percentage. So this is a game that you know Arkansas wants to play defensively, not super efficient offensively, especially in the half court. Not quite a like Spider-Man matchup, but a game that I feel like in terms of the matchup, in terms of the style of play, Carolina will be comfortable playing. They Tell me if this sounds like another team that you've heard of. Arkansas likes to play good defense. They're pretty middle of the road offensively. Don't shoot the ball that great mm-hmm. in SEC play. Uh, try to force turnovers and like to play fast. Yep. Does that sound like any other team that, uh, let's <laughs> that see we've talked about all season? Hmm. So um, uh, The Knicks. Yeah, uh, Alfred Payton. Shout yeah, out. Alfred uh, Payton. South Carolina's actually shot a little bit better than... Arkansas Arkansas hadn't shot the ball that well. They're like ninth in SEC play. Just SEC games. Mm. Uh, in the three-point percentage, South Carolina third. Mm-hmm. So they've shot the ball better. Arkansas is sixth in offensive efficiency through, what, six SEC games. South Carolina is eighth. Um, so it's just one of those things in, in defensive efficiency. Arkansas is sixth. South Carolina is fifth. So these are two teams that... While Arkansas was really, really, really good in the in non-con, and South Carolina was up and down in the non-con, they've kind of leveled out to where they're pretty much on the same level mm-hmm. um, through six SEC games or whatever yeah. they've played. Well, that's why I'm surprised to see the the predicted win percentage is so lopsided because this does feel like a pretty close game. Yeah, it's uh, pretty even. Let's see. Right now, Arkansas is – where is Arkansas? They're one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in the SEC – uh, Carolina is ninth. It feels like there's probably a round where they're going to finish. You know, they could finish fifth and sixth, sixth and eighth, something like yeah. that. It wouldn't surprise wouldn't me. Wouldn't shock at all. me to see them play in the SEC tournament at some point too. Yeah, how close yeah. They are. Um, so it feels like it's going to be a close matchup again. You mentioned some of the some of the stylistic similarities. Uh, the the one thing that really concerns you for this game. Well, I say I keep saying the one thing that concerns you for this game. What concerns you about this game? Yes, they're on the road. It's a team full of veterans. 
and Carolina at times has had the propensity to turn the ball over. Um, yes. Now, A.J. Lawson had his turnovers down last game. Trey Hannibal didn't turn the ball over. You're going to need that because this is a very, very aggressive defensive team in Arkansas that, as you mentioned, they want to run. They're averaging like eight and a half steals a game. Yeah. So they create a lot of opportunities for easy buckets for themselves. So for Carolina, be just you have to be incredibly careful with the basketball, and your transition defense has to just be absolutely spot on because if you spot Arkansas 10, 12 extra points at home in a game that's already projecting to be close, that that I would imagine would be the difference. Yeah, and I think the biggest the biggest thing for me that I'm intrigued to watch is how they handle that atmosphere. Because Frank Martin said it before, said it on Monday actually, that against Auburn they kind of let that atmosphere, that energy kind of affect them a little bit. And Arkansas, per Ken Palm's home court advantage metric, Arkansas has the seventh highest home court advantage in college basketball. Seventh? Seventh. Wow. Highest in the SEC. Kentucky's higher is, than Rupp. Yes, Kentucky's is tenth. Arkansas is seventh. Jeez. South Carolina, intriguingly enough, twenty first. So yeah. top twenty five. Good job. Um, Good job, Carolina fans. Way to get loud. Now that you have beer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to see it pre beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just handling that moment of you're on the road in a really, really hostile environment. Probably the, I think it's fair to say probably the most hostile environment you're going to see all season. Um, so seeing just how they handle that situation um, will be pretty key and I think, determining do they win if everyone comes out and handles the moment the right way. I don't know. Uh, Arkansas is still pretty talented. But it's just a matter of I think that if they handle it the right way, it'll be close at the under four. And once Frank gets to the under four, his team's battle. Um, so I think handling that moment is going to be big for them. Big factor for me, Arkansas small. Oh, very small. Their starting lineup, the biggest guy out there, is Adrian Bailey, and he's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, yeah. With Levesque playing well, we talked a lot about McCreary and his emergence and consistency. Now, this would be an opportunity for Carolina to go big. I think Arkansas is only averaging about 32 rebounds a game. And you mentioned like the on-off numbers, just like with Bryant, for example. I don't know. I mean, that's all lineups with Bryant, so that's going to include... Probably some that are that have two big, some that have one big. Carolina's averaging forty three rebounds a game. This yeah. is a this is a game like Kentucky, where you got to double them up on the offensive glass, especially if because if we're being honest, Carolina's probably going to turn the ball over sixteen or seventeen times, and Arkansas is going to have a lot of transition opportunities and make a lot of transition baskets because that's who Arkansas is and that's who South Carolina is by and large. Yeah. So where are you making that up? Offensive glass. Huge opportunity for South Carolina to go super big. And Arkansas is really, really bad on the offensive glass. 341st nationally in offensive rebound rate. Whoa. Like, really bad. And their defense against offensive rebounding is 265th. So, and in conference, they are dead last in offensive rebound rate and 11th in offensive rebound rate against. South Carolina, on the other hand, a top um, 40 offensive rebound rate team. Pretty good at not allowing guys. Pretty mediocre. Um, third in the SEC in conference games only and sixth in offensive rebound rate against. So huge, huge piece of that puzzle. So Carolina's closing lineup, again, not starting lineup, because there's no reason to change their starting lineup. It's a, it's a pretty good unit. But Carolina's uh, closing lineup in this game might be, maybe should, in fact, be either Jermaine or AJ, yeah. Keyshawn, Justin Minai at the three, McCreary or Levesque, whoever's playing better at the four, or maybe even Frank if he's having another 
you know, incredibly yeah. efficient shooting game, and Coates are at five. Or, you know, Coates are at four and Levesque at five or something like yeah. that. There's a I lot like of that. there's a lot of extra possessions to be had. Yeah. If second chance points are going to be huge. And the other those. part of it is Carolina could probably even still play with their regular Jermaine AJ, Keyshawn, Justin, Mike, and still crush them on the offensive glass. They may not they may not even need to go super to do it, but they're gonna have to exploit that this game. Yeah, no, you're gonna have to see some good minutes from your bigs. Uh if your bigs don't play well and don't get offensive rebounds, it might be hard to win this basketball game. Mm. Now fortunately for Carolina. They've been good at that, especially yeah, lately. Been very good at that. Very, very good, good at that. that. So gives you some hope again. I, the eighty-five and a half percent. I don't know where the line's going to close on this, or what, what the. Again, I don't. I don't take a lot of stock in those percentages. I just think it's kind of an interesting frame of reference for what the math thinks is going to happen in this game. This this feels very close. I let's see. Yeah, so I, yeah, we, I think it's a lot closer. I think Kim Pom gives them. It's giving South Carolina a seventeen percent chance to win, predicting a ten-point Arkansas win. Like. I get it. Yeah, that, that could totally happen. That's but, a very realistic outcome. Yeah, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that, especially through the first part of the game. So you mentioned, I think going into the Tennessee game, that you felt worse about the Tennessee game than the Florida game. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Just because it was up in Knoxville. So if I'm going to do that with this Arkansas game, I feel obviously worse about the Arkansas game than Vanderbilt, better about the Arkansas game than Auburn, worse about the Arkansas game than A&M. I guess... I guess maybe a little better than Kentucky, although, yeah, definitely better than Kentucky. Yeah, I agree. Better than Tennessee. Better than, better than Tennessee. Probably not as good as I felt better about, about about Auburn. Felt really, better about them going down to Auburn. Um, hmm. I guess I'm not factoring in like how tough it is to play there because I've never been in that arena. Yeah, that, that, I guess that could that that could really be the difference in this game. Yeah, who's gonna have to be the uh, who's gonna be the guy who's player of the game if Carolina pulls off the upset? I'm going to say Keyshawn Bryant. Keyshawn? Yeah. I'll say either him or or AJ because they'll have to go off and make some pretty explosive plays. I can see Keyshawn having like a 17-7 and with like two or three offensive rebounds, a couple of big putback jams to like either spark a run or end an Arkansas run or something like that. Yeah. I can see that. I think, uh, I don't know, this isn't isn't that interesting, but this is more wishful thinking. But for McCreary to have 11-5 and against Vanderbilt was one thing. But if he plays, if he gets 20 minutes on Wednesday night and puts up another 11 and 5, 11 and 6, and grabs some offensive rebounds and does some positive bull in a china shop stuff, I could yeah. I could see that being kind of a swing factor in this game for Carolina. Yeah. You ready to do reverse jinxes? And then... Oh, yeah. Well, I, I guess that was kind of mine. Yeah. So your, ver- your, ver- your reverse jinx is. McCreary. McCreary. Yeah. But he played well. It's not really reverse. That's true. This okay. Point. All right. Yeah. So let, so let me look at that. Um, I got mine. I'm ready to go. Okay. Three, two, one. Mike. Mike Kotsar. Yeah. There you go. Mike. Okay. Easy. Mike, come on back, Mike. Yeah. We'd love to have you. The Stay a while. The opportunity is there for you in this yeah. game. Yeah. This is this is his five by five game. Um, block all those shorties out there. Get five blocks, five steals. God, five blocks is never going to happen for Mike. That's why it has to be. It has to be either Could turnovers though. or fouls. Good though. Oh, man, I really hope so. But, yeah, Mike, come on back. It's been four games. You had a nice little rest. Come back from vacation. Play well against Arkansas. And uh, by Carolina, I mean, basically an extra game, right? Yeah. If they if they win this game, they have an extra game that they can screw up later in the season, and it won't be the end of the world. Now, I think Georgia is worse than I expected. Yes. I think that's fair to say. I thought Anthony Edwards would be enough to get him to, like, at least 500 in conference play, and they're 
a long way away from that. Ole Miss finally got their first conference win of the season, but that was over Against Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. You look at this, you, you can't count on Carolina winning both of those Georgia games. You know, at Georgia is going to be tough. But very two, winnable. And the two against Mississippi State now looks tough. But the, the only game, so the Arkansas game, the two Mississippi State games, and the LSU, LSU game, I guess at Alabama. So those are like, that's like two, I would say Carolina probably loses LSU in either at Alabama or at Mississippi State. And then no game other than that is like worse than a toss-up. Yeah, I agree with that. So Except This team's so, consistency's getting there, but I don't know if it's, it's still kind of a little up and down at times. Yeah. And could take another big step forward on Wednesday night against Arkansas. Yes. Before we get out of here, do you want to talk about Kobe Bryant? We could talk about Kobe Bryant. Were you a Kobe fan? See, I was never really like, I mean, the NBA was always secondary to college basketball for me growing up, obviously, in Columbia. But I loved Kobe. Um, and it was hard kind of seeing the news. And um, he was probably my... One of my favorite players growing up, just because he was so fun and dominating. And if I was watching the NBA, it was pretty much to watch Kobe Bryant. It was just weird. Where were you when you heard the news? I was at baseball. At a baseball oh, yeah. scrimmage, I was watching BP on the field. Mm. Who told you? I saw it on Twitter. Mm. So I was scrolling through, and it was weird. It was kind of surreal because the players obviously don't have their phones out when they're out there. and. Um, news kind of started trickling in from the guys over in the clubhouse getting you know finishing getting ready and coming out for bp mm-hmm. um kind of seeing the news trickle out that way is kind of surreal yeah and everyone kind of kind of dawning on everyone at that at that at pretty much at the same time i think i was one of the last people to know and i know that because people that i know that don't know anything about sports or care about sports were texting me about it i was at lunch with my friend thomas and so i didn't look at my phone for i don't know like an hour hour and a half or whatever and i dropped him off and looked at my phone and I had 19 missed text messages. Yeah. And from people, like, my sister's never watched a basketball game in her life of, like, any variety. And all the texts were just like, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. Yeah. And it was completely surreal. Uh, Frank Martin was asked about him, I guess, yesterday, obviously, and just spoke to, you know, his greatness as a teammate, which is funny because that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about Kobe. No. The first thing that comes to mind when I think about Kobe is 60 points on 50 shots in his last game yeah. <laughs> and just rolling my eyes and being like, that's the most Kobe thing ever. Yeah, just taking every shot possible. Yeah, but the impact that he's had on the game is like really hard to overstate. Obviously, Jordan's the GOAT. There are other people that have meant more to the game in like more significant ways in more significant times. Like you think about the impact that um, Bill Russell had Russell. on the game in terms of, you know, actually integrating the African-American community into the NBA. You know, guys that have had I don't want to say like more far-reaching impacts, but different impacts and like bigger social impacts. But in terms of like the way that the game is played and influencing a generation, like Kobe's on the short list up there with Magic and Bird for reviving the NBA. Um, you know, certainly what LeBron James has done done in terms of a brand. Yeah, and it's also you know one of the interesting cases where like Kobe was influential on LeBron James. So you, you don't have LeBron without having Kobe. Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. And I think that. I mean, I think that's why LeBron's in Los Angeles today is because of Kobe. And I think every generation has its player. Um, you know, I, I weirdly enough, I'd already planned on going to dinner with my parents Sunday night, so we got to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. this then. Um, where it was like in the 80s and, and, you know, late 80s, early 90s, it was Jordan. Uh, before that, it was obviously Magic and Bird. 
but that late 90s, 2000 stretch, it was Kobe. Mm-hmm. That was all Kobe. I mean, three straight titles, five titles in 10 years, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. 2000, 2001, 2002, and then 2009 and 10. Yeah, so five titles in 10, 11 years. Um, that's crazy. And he was and keeping the league afloat in a time that it was in sort of like a post-Jordan crisis. It was like, yeah. you know, Jordan well, you know, Jordan retires after the finals in 98. He comes back and plays for the Wizards, but wasn't. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't Jordan yeah. at that point. So when you're looking for a star, when you're looking for direction, face of the league, you know, I, I guess it was Shaq for a while, and he was the, he was the final MVP for the first three-peat for the Lakers. But he was he was different. He was like the personality and like the marketable face of the league. But it seemed like within the league and for the younger generations, for the people in college and in high school and in middle school that were growing up watching the game, I think for a couple of reasons, it was more Kobe's league than Shaq's league. And part of that's because if you look like you or me, you know, we can't be Shaq. We're not we're not, we're not seven four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or whatever. Yeah, whatever he is. And but you, and we we also can't be Kobe. But no. we can be closer to Kobe than we can be to Shaq yeah. because Kobe is is Talented. competitiveness and talent and like work dedication, ethic work thing. ethic. Yeah. yeah. Um I think what it's been phenomenal for all these guys, these sports stars and Sports and rankers and whoever to come out and start sharing their Kobe memories. Um, Ellie Duncan's. Did you see that one mm-hmm. where she's she's breaking down talking on the Sports Center? I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, it's it's gut wrenching to watch, and I think the part that Kobe did such a great job once he retired about almost reinventing himself. I mean, he was a family man. You mm-hmm. never looked at Kobe when he was playing and said that guy. He loved his daughters. He cared about his daughters. But you never looked at him and said, "Man, that guy's a family man." <laughs> he was—he was never someone that I was like, "I want to hang out with him." Yeah, he, he never seemed but like nice. now. But like after he retired, he bought the helicopter to spend more time with his children, mm-hmm. to to cut down on travel time, so mm-hmm. he could come home and spend time with his kids and pick them up from school. And that's the part that's so gut wrenching for me. And I'm not a dad; I'm not a parent. But thinking about those final moments in that helicopter where he's trying to comfort them, his daughter, and can't because, I mean, he's helpless at that point. And that's, I think, the part that sucks is because he was, he loved his family. Um, and it's it's gut-wrenching because his daughter was, it would have been gut-wrenching regardless, but his daughter was so talented and was, I mean, Kobe at 13 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he did so much. For the NBA, he did so much in support of the WNBA. Um, I mean, the game lost probably its, its best ambassador at the moment in Kobe Bryant. As much as he's been involved, his detail on ESPN, obviously the, the basketball documentary that he won uh, an Academy Award for. Yeah. It's 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 so weird. Um, and it's been – because you're right. Like he was <laughs> – I think it's generous to – say that he was a polarizing figure in his playing yes, days. Like much. I said, I was never a Kobe fan. I reveled in, in pulling against him. But just to get back to the influence, you see everybody from Doc Rivers, who coached in finals against him, you know, competed against each other, and he was very clearly shaken up when they were asking him. Uh, I was watching NBA TV's coverage of it pretty much all afternoon and was obviously so shaken up. And it makes sense to, like, you know, teammates and even guys that he would compete against or with you know like on the olympic team guys like lebron and Melo and wade and those guys that all makes sense but then you really start to understand the impact when it's 
guys like Neymar and guys like Nick Kyrgios, you know, from other countries, yeah. other sports. And, and, you know, even here, guys like Trey Young and Devin Booker that are basically like two generations removed from Kobe. They, like, they weren't even the Kobe generation. Like, they grew up watching, they grew up watching LeBron and Wade and, yeah. you know, guys like that, at, at least as much as Kobe. And, and in some ways, it was probably like a more direct influence. But even still, like, those guys are shaken up about it. And it just, it's been really interesting his post his post basketball playing career was fascinating and it's a shame that there's not more of it because just as as someone that's just curious um you know like kobe was it was fun to watch him be around and transform himself into a likable person after it's like he dedicated his entire playing to career to being like i i want to win and also i want to be as unlikable as possible and yeah. he did like a really good job of that yeah, at times cuz he just he I leaned mean, into the heel yeah and and I think this impacts you regardless of if you were a basketball fan. This impacts you in a lot of different ways. Because as a basketball fan, to watch one of the true, very rare to be an icon in a sport, especially the NBA, where flamboyancy and, you know, just personalities take over. And Kobe was a personality. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but it impacts you if you're a basketball fan, obviously. It impacts you as a son. I couldn't imagine losing my parents. Um, as someone, you know, who's about to get married, I couldn't imagine losing my significant other. Like it, and then if you're a parent, it's like I can't imagine losing a kid in there. So there's so many layers to this, and it's also tragic. And I mean, it's emotional. And I usually don't get emotional when people that aren't close to me pass away. But like. To understand what this means, just in in terms of the zeitgeist of of 2020 and the 2020s as a whole, like this is a this is a pivotal moment. I mean, this is one of those moments that you look back on, like the world stopped for a day mm-hmm. when Kobe Bryant died. That doesn't happen often, no, especially like, in this day and age. Yeah, and and weirdly, with sports figures, it doesn't happen that much. Like no. the, I, this felt to me like when Prince died or like when Michael Jackson died. Yeah. But obviously, the Michael Jackson conversation is way more complicated now than it even was then yeah even though we we still knew a lot then but it felt more like prince or something like that it felt like a president getting shot yeah i don't hate i hate comparing it to that because it's two completely different things but it's like the world stopped for a day because of this true like cultural icon Mm -hmm. dying and it'd be different if he was sick or um or like he had done it to himself in some way like that's a different type of tragedy it's no more or less tragic but if he had quit his, you know, basketball playing career and then it just become like a junkie, it's like that's a different type of sad, you but also it, you, you, one that you can see it coming. Yeah, right? and like I mean, I've seen people compare it to Muhammad Ali, and I've been listening to. I'm a big Dan Lebatard fan, so I listened to him a little bit yesterday talk about it, and they were talking about Muhammad Ali, and comparing it to Muhammad Ali, who was obviously a, a massively cultural icon. Um, that's not. It's comparable. To Ali, but it's not Ali because Ali had Parkinson's, and you could see that deteriorate through time as old age will do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a guy that was peak physical condition, forty-one years old. Um, Tom Brady's age, yeah, maybe I mean, younger than Tom. Is Tom forty-two now? I don't yeah, know. I mean but he's yeah comparable, and um, and yeah, it's, it's the shock of it was as powerful an emotion for me as anything. Yeah, because I, I mean, also look like it's a it, like you're saying it's a horrible situation. I'm very sympathetic. It is a sad situation. I never knew Kobe. I'm not like personally sad. Like, 
which sounds insensitive to say, but it's just like, for me, it's more like the shock and just the comprehension of the entire situation. And yeah. like, again, obviously understanding that it's it. sad, but yeah, I don't think I fully wrapped my mind around it quite yet. Yeah. It's kind of weird. 36 hours removed from it yeah. or, hours, or 48 hours removed from it. It's been, it's been weird mm-hmm. because you kind of, I thought it was fake at first. Yeah. hundred percent thought it was fake. Um, but the more you kind of wrap your head around it, the more it just becomes even more unbelievable mm-hmm. to where you just literally cannot believe it just happened. Hate to end on a sour note like that, but it's a sad week, sad yeah. days in the world of basketball. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about South Carolina's game with Arkansas, which hopefully they can pull off the upset, and their upcoming homestand with Missouri. That's uh, this coming Saturday. That's an afternoon tip. Yep, it was nice sure. to have a, a primetime Saturday to Colonial Life Arena this past weekend, but uh, I won't complain about having a having a midday game Early this past weekend. All the way. Yeah, Early. yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. The one o'clock tips have been nice. So, uh, three thirty for Missouri, and uh, this Arkansas game Wednesday night is at uh, is at eight thirty. So you got to stay up a little bit later for that one. And actually, I'm going to see Dave Chappelle Saturday night, and that's at seven. Um, so if it had been a seven o'clock tip, I probably would have missed most of the game. But I will probably, you know, and a lot of it. yeah, and a lot a lot of times uh, like I, like this uh, Vanderbilt game, I didn't go, so I recorded it and watched it again. And I was gonna have to do that with Arkansas. I might get to watch. Uh, most of the whole thing live anyway, so maybe I can even hey, I can even tweet during the game, maybe, oh, wow. depending on uh, when I get home. But anyway, we'll be back Thursday. Thank you so much for listening. Great review. Subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Colin, I am Pearson. We'll talk to you soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.